Welcome to Piedmont Arts. I'm Rachel Stewart. Internationally recognized conductor Vinay Parameshwaran leads the Charlotte Symphony Orchestra in concerts on February 3rd and 4th. He recently concluded five seasons with the Cleveland Orchestra, where he was assistant conductor and then associate conductor. And before that, he was associate conductor with the Nashville Symphony for three seasons. Parameshwaran is a graduate of Brown University and the Curtis Institute of Music, and he has uh, has led orchestras all over the country. So welcome, Vinay. Thanks for, for joining us today. Thanks for having me. I want to talk about your background just briefly. Um, you are a liberal arts major, right? You, mm-hmm. went, to, you went to Brown uh, and you studied music and political science there. You double majored. I'm curious as to how you ended up uh, being a conductor, which seems, you know, less likely and more challenging than, you know, pursuing the political science side of things. You know, when I entered Brown, um, conducting was not on my radar at all, like especially as a possible career. <laughs> I was fortunate as a as a kid in middle school and high school to play in one of the elite youth orchestras in the country, if not the world, in San Francisco. And um, I was a percussionist. And when you are a percussionist in the orchestra, you you have the most fun, obviously, but you spend most of your time not playing, actually. You know, you, you count your rests, you play your cymbal crash, and you sit down again. But what that afforded was um, just an opportunity to listen to what was going around, going on around me. And I just loved just the sound of the orchestra and, and the sounds the orchestra could create and all the colors. And I think I was just always fascinated by the person in the front, you know, and we had great conductors in my youth orchestra. And just watching the person on the front, you know, they were obviously shaping our sound and they were imprinting their vision of the pieces we were playing. and. You know, I think I just tucked on the back of my head and it was like, oh, that's kind of interesting. Like, I wonder what that's all about. And I really wanted to be a percussionist. I was a really serious percussionist in my youth. And um, but I wasn't quite ready to go to music school when I was 18. You know, that's just a big decision. And I had a lot of interests. And I I think I just wanted to go somewhere where I could try a lot of different things. And Brown was the perfect place for that. The music department was amazing because it was it was really high caliber music making happening on campus. But the department was really small. And I got to know all the faculty really well. And I just went up to our director of orchestras, um, who now teaches at Stanford. His name is Paul Phillips. And I just asked him, hey, like, how do you do what you do? Like, how does one become a conductor? I mean, what does that path entail? What is that all about? And I was so lucky because he took me on pretty much from that point as a private student and was so gracious and generous with his time and on top of taking my political science classes and other classes and whatnot to fulfilling my degrees, I started going to his house once a week and we were starting from scratch. I mean, we started really with just basic score reading exercises with the piano. And once we started studying scores, you know, at that point, I was thinking about going to law school. Like I had my LSAT book at home, all that stuff. And I um, think I, I put those plans aside because I just, I just loved looking at scores and just trying to figure them out. And before I knew it, um, you know, Paul threw me in front of the university orchestra, which was a really good college orchestra. And we were playing right of spring and I was just struck that we were playing big rep and I just fell in love with it. I was just, I just thought I really have a passion for this and, um, and I haven't turned back, I guess. Since most of us have no clue what it's like to be a conductor, how much of it is, um, well, I guess with any orchestra, when you're, you know, guest conductor working with new orchestra, how much is the give and take happening? Or are you initiating everything? I think it's a balance. It's it's definitely um, 
like you said, a give and take, a push and pull. Um, you know, when you're on the podium, you obviously have to be a musician, conductor, but you also have to kind of be a, a mind reader, a body language doctor, a psychologist. Um, you know, obviously you're, you're giving something on the podium to the orchestra because you have, you know, every conductor has strong opinions about the, the works that they're conducting. But um, I think every successful performance has an element where the orchestra is really giving you something that's palpable and powerful and, and exciting too. And I think that's what makes the most exciting performances. You want to put the orchestra in a position where they can be their best. Well, let's talk about some of the works that are on the concert. Um, we've got music by a composer named Gabriella Smith, who I um, don't know a lot about, but she's fairly young, I think, maybe still in her yeah. 30s. What can you tell us about this work? Gabriella um, is uh, an old friend of mine. We were actually classmates together at Curtis. It was evident from the first time any of us heard her music that she had a really unique voice. She has a really close relationship to nature, and I think that that really informs a lot of her music. But this piece, Field Guide, is kind of like the musical collage of all of these sounds um, and that Gabriella has recorded and compiled um, in many natural environments, you know, in in the Sierras, on the Pacific Coast Trail, um, in tropical environments, along the ocean side. And it's really this kind of 10-minute soundscape of all these different natural environments. It must be nice to be able to interpret the music of somebody you actually know. I think because I've known her for so long, and I just, I, I have a real sense of her language, I think, just having done a lot of her music. But it's also nice when you can text the composer or email the composer and they get back to you. <laughs> it's really nice to have that connection. <laughs> That's true. Whereas with this uh, next piece on the program, Benjamin Britten, I don't think you'd be able to do that very easily. No. So tell us about uh, Les Illuminations by Benjamin Britten. You know, I, I still think Britten is still one of the more underrated 20th century composers. He just had such a unique gift for writing for the voice. Um, what we have here is... Um, a song cycle about 20 minutes in length that takes these short poems by Rimbaud. And these poems are, um, they're not really about anything. They're kind of nonsensical and stream of consciousness. And I think uh, each setting is, is really beautifully done. You also have um, the poem for orchestra by William Grant Still on the program. Can you tell us about that one? You know, William Grant Still was... Uh, one of the most important um, American 20th century composers. And unfortunately, there's still a lot of his uh, catalog that's just not played very often. And um, this is a piece that I think is a, is a hidden gem of his. And this work has actually become my, my latest obsession. Um, yeah, I just think it's um, an incredible piece. It's, it's about just 10, 11 minutes long, but it's full of drama, full of beautiful melodies. And, um, you know, there are so many pieces written by Black composers that maybe had a world premiere, but then just disappeared, you know, over time. And I think this is one of them. You know, it was actually premiered by the Cleveland Orchestra. You know, it's been played a little bit more often recently, but um, I think it just kind of sat for decades not being played. This piece is very much a wartime piece. It was written in the early 1940s, um, you know, in the middle of World War II. And I think there's both a message of hope, but also that we don't quite know where we're going yet in this piece. Well, the final uh, one on the list, I guess, is this going to be the end, the, the final piece in the concert, too, as far as um, the order? Sibelius' Symphony Number no. 5? Yeah. Now, this is one that you conduct elsewhere, right, or fairly often? 
this will be my second time doing it. I did okay. it a, a few months ago um, with the Rochester Philharmonic, um, which was a, a blast and I'm excited to do it again because it's it's one of my all-time favorite symphonies. So what can you tell us about this one? So this symphony was written for the celebration of Sibelius's 50th birthday. And Sibelius already at that time was a national hero. So um, his 50th was was a big deal <laughs> in, in Finland. The fourth symphony, the you know, which precedes this is is one of his darkest symphonies. And it's really tragic and it's, you know, it it's just kind of full of pathos. And Sibelius had a had a quote, or I think a diary entry, where he said he had this vision where out of darkness God opens this door and you know, in the sunshine, the fifth symphony is playing. Sibelius revised this multiple times. You know, he was uh he really wanted to get it right in the symphony and um I think he did because it's it's not that long of a piece. It's only about 30 minutes, but the journey one takes in the symphony is is really powerful. It's interesting to me that he was he wrote this for his 50th birthday. It was it was a commission, right? Did he? Did yeah, he... yeah. I think it was just you know that this was going to be a national event and this symphony was going to be a part of that. So you got to I don't know. To me, it's interesting. It seems like I don't know what goes through your head when you <laughs> you're writing yeah. a piece that's you know, to be part of a commemoration of you. Yeah. Right there ensconced in midlife too. So. Right. That's kind of, that's, that's interesting to bring that up. Cause that's one thing I thought of. I just wonder if he was having a midlife crisis <laughs> when he was writing this piece, because not only just what's happening around the world, but also just personally, um, you know, the other fascinating thing about Sibelius's life is after he wrote Tapiola, I mean, he lived for another 30 years, but didn't write anything again. I mean, I think mm. there were drafts of the eighth symphony, but he burned them and, I think he was a really complicated man and had a lot of demons. And um, I just wonder what was going through his mind at that time. Yeah, it sounds like, well, like you said, it sounds like a lot was going through. I mean, <laughs> but it's going to be a great program. And, um, you know, we look forward to having you in Charlotte. And I don't know if there's anything you want to add uh, about what's coming as far as the concert goes or anything like that. I just, I can't wait to be in Charlotte. Um, you know, I've been looking forward to this program ever since we put it together, which is many months ago now. and. Um, uh, I'm excited to work with the wonderful orchestra that's there and to to see the city. And um, it's it's going to be a great program. And I, um, I hope uh, you all will join us at the Night Theater uh, on the 3rd and 4th of February. I've been speaking with uh, Vinay Parameshwan, uh, who is going to be the guest conductor for the Charlotte Symphony Orchestra for concerts February 3rd and 4th at the Night Theater. Vinay, thank you so much for taking some time and talking with us today. Thanks for having me. This was fun. I appreciate it. For Piedmont Arts, I'm Rachel Stewart.